Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 1 Kings chapter 18 from the World English Bible. After many days, Yahweh's word came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared Yahweh greatly, for when Jezebel cut off Yahweh's prophets, Obadiah took one hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive that we not lose all the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. As Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. He recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? He answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. He said, How have I sinned that you would deliver your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As Yahweh your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. When they said, He is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they didn't find you. Now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. It will happen as soon as I leave you that Yahweh's spirit will carry you I don't know where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he can't find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared Yahweh from my youth. Wasn't it told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed Yahweh's prophets, how I hid one hundred men of Yahweh's prophets with fifty to a cave and fed them with bread and water? Now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, as Yahweh of armies lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, in that you have forsaken Yahweh's commandments, and you have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel to Mount Carmel, and four hundred fifty of the prophets of Baal, and four hundred of the prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together to Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you waver between the two sides? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people didn't say a word. Then Elijah said to the people, 
I, even I only, am left as a prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are four hundred fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bowls, and let them choose one bowl for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bowl, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. You call on the name of your God, and I will call on Yahweh's name. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. All the people answered, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and dress it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. They took the bull which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, and nobody answered. They leaped about the altar which was made. At noon, Elijah mocked to them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is deep in thought, or he has gone somewhere, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he sleeps and must be awakened. They cried aloud and cut themselves in their way with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the evening offering, but there was no voice, no answer, and nobody paid attention. Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me, and all the people came near to him. He repaired Yahweh's altar that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom Yahweh's word came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in Yahweh's name. He made a trench around the altar large enough to contain two seahs of seed. He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, Do it a second time, and they did it the second time. He said, Do it a third time, and they did it the third time. The water ran around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the evening offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, Yahweh, hear me, that this people may know that you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then Yahweh's fire fell, and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and killed them there. Elijah said to Ahab, Get up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, There is nothing. He said, Go again, seven times. On the seventh time he said, Behold, a small cloud like a man's hand is rising out of the sea. He said, Go up, tell Ahab, get ready and go down, so that the rain doesn't stop you. 
In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Yahweh's hand was on Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That is the end of chapter 18. Elijah has a major role to play in the narrative until 2 Kings chapter 2, and then miraculously will show up in the New Testament and possibly is one of the two witnesses in the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see here that Elijah is told to present himself to Ahab, who has been searching through his own and many other countries for the man that he sees or is at least trying to blame as being responsible for the drought. This is the same king that has let his wife kill Yahweh's prophets, see verses 3 and 13 of this chapter. These other nameless men had also spoken the truths of God. They are called prophets, but at least some of them suffer death for their faithfulness, in contrast to Elijah being given the role of speaking to the king. The famine is noted as being particular to Samaria, and Samaria is both a city and a region. Recall that in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 24, it talks about when the city got built. If you look at the Bible atlas that I've recommended before, and I'll put a link to it on page 41, you can see the city in this area is very central to Israel, both being midway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, and at a midpoint distance compared to the length of the, the Jordan River. And on page 46 of the same atlas, we can see that this was a city during the time of Jesus, but it was known as Sebasti, if I'm saying that right. But the region was still known as Samaria, as we know from reading the New Testament. The Obadiah that is talked about here in the beginning of the chapter is not identified by any family connections. We don't hear that he's the son of so-and-so or the brother of anybody. A word search shows that the name Obadiah is fairly common, and the English Standard Version of the Bible has an introduction to the book of Obadiah, which places it likely as written soon after Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon, which according to both the ESV and the chronology of the Old Testament uh, was around 586 B.C., and they come to this conclusion because its content is referring to how Edom treated Israel during the time that they were being um, taken over by Babylon. So this would have been about 300 years after what was occurring here with Elijah. So this Obadiah wouldn't have lived that long. So the book of Obadiah is not written by this Obadiah. But this Obadiah is faithful to Yahweh. He still isn't identified as a prophet. He does put himself at very great risk helping those whom Jezebel the queen is trying to kill while being a servant in a, apparently a high-standing position with Ahab. And this can be deduced from the fact of how Ahab is splitting the search between himself and Obadiah. He's speaking right to Obadiah. And this is probably how Obadiah recognized Elijah. He had been there when Elijah had talked to Ahab previously. Elijah is now out in the open, coming back from the widow's house in Sidon, which, by the way, is located in what we would call modern-day Lebanon. And Sidon is north-northwest of what we know as the Sea of Galilee, so it's about 40 miles away from the Sea of Galilee and about 80 miles away from Samaria, where Ahab reigned. 
So it is Elijah on his way back from Sidon when he runs into Obadiah. Obadiah's response to Elijah's request may very well be just an idiom or a turn of phrase that you would use when you couldn't find someone. But given that that is exactly how Elijah left this earth, you have to wonder if there were already accounts of him getting here and there like Philip did in Acts 8.39. What a trip that must have been. Either way, it is prophetic whether he attended it or not. The tone of Obadiah's concerns is humorous to me, though I'm thinking it was life and death serious to him, but the tone of, what have I ever done to you? And the point is made clear that Jezebel is the instigator of these mass murders. The way Obadiah talks about the number of prophets that he hid, it's not easy to know if she had already killed hundreds or if she had gotten started on a killing spree and Obadiah, being in a position to know what she was doing, got the rest hidden right away. But with reassurances, Obadiah delivers Elijah's message and Ahab goes to Elijah. This is not usually how kings do things. Kings usually make other people put out the effort to come to them. To go to someone is a sign of lower position comparatively. And Ahab begins their interaction with the accusation that Elijah is causing trouble. Isn't that commonly the way of people who want to spurn God and his truth? They try to reform, reframe the conflict to make it the fault of those who are faithful. However, Elijah doesn't let Ahab get away with it for a second and says exactly what the real source of trouble for Israel is, and that is they are not following Yahweh and his commandments. So everyone heads for Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is almost directly west of the Sea of Galilee, just under a little knob of land along the Mediterranean coast. Nazareth is almost center between Carmel and the Sea of Galilee. Carmel has been mentioned in 1 Samuel 15:12 as a place where Saul set up a monument to himself, and in 1 Samuel 25, where the man Nabal lived, the guy whose livestock and things David and his men had been protecting, and then he refused to share with them. Here in this time period that we are reading about, Elijah at least 450 false prophets, Ahab and all the people of Israel go to Mount Carmel. In some cases, it seems like when they say all Israel, they don't mean every last person, though in some cases they do. Now, Ahab apparently told everyone and quite a large company came, enough to thoroughly represent the northern kingdom. When Elijah states the case to all the people who showed up, the implication is that they had deluded themselves into thinking they could worship Yahweh and Baal. But Elijah says, no, you have to choose. They had nothing to say in response to this. Were they confused? Were they still noncommittal? Were they waiting for something else, like a sign? Next, Elijah says that he is the only prophet of Yahweh's left. Since Obadiah just told him about a bunch of them who are in hiding and taking into account the scene, he seems to be stating that he is the only one left available or sent to speak for Yahweh. All the others have been killed or run for their lives. But he's also making a distinction between himself and all the prophets of Baal. There's no mention here of the prophets of Asherah that were invited to the party. Maybe they were smart and stayed away. But now the showdown begins. The rules are clear. 
prepare the sacrifice, which includes bull and wood, but the god has to send the fire to receive it. None of the prophets are to start any fire. Elijah even begins taunting them right at the start, where he says, you call on the name of your God. He's belittling them by not even deigning to acknowledge the name they use, not giving him even that credibility. And they try. Do they really think their so-called God will answer, or do they think his won't either, so it's all just for show? After they humiliate themselves for hours, Elijah again makes fun of their so-called God, and then they begin getting really gruesome, and they cry more, and they leap more, and they cut themselves, and nothing, nothing, nothing happens. And then the day is nearly done. It is near the time of the prescribed evening offering according to the law of Moses. Maybe they were thinking that Elijah made a mistake letting them use up so much of the day. He barely has any time left to motivate his God. Plus, he had to repair the altar. This altar was apparently already known as, as an altar of Yahweh's. It wasn't one they used for Baal. In fact, it wasn't functional until Elijah added some stones. Then Elijah raised the stakes. He got the bull and wood and surrounding trench extremely wet. He had them drench it three times. Again, three times. It's like saying only a miracle could bring this sacrifice to life. Then Elijah prays a simple prayer. And in the prayer, he makes it clear he is acting according to God's word given to him. It reminds me of Jesus's prayer for Lazarus to rise from the dead in John eleven forty two, where he says he's praying out loud so that the people around will know that he speaks for God and that God hears him. And immediately here with Elijah, Yahweh's awesome fire fell, so awesome it burnt up the stones. But I find myself thinking that what seems so miraculous to us was but a simple action for God, the God whose power holds the whole world in existence. For us, it is like the demonstration of a flash of brilliance with power beyond our comprehension. For him, it was like, yeah, I can snap my fingers and make fire. But lest you be confused, I'm not saying God is a man or held in bodily form with its limitations like us, but this is an anthropomorphism where we can relate to God when we compare him to what we understand as people. And he himself does this throughout the scriptures. So next in the the narrative here, the people were naturally in awe and proclaimed Yahweh as the God he is. Unfortunately, awe from signs by itself without a change of heart is not long-lasting motivation, as we can note from the first generation of Israelites who died in the wilderness after they were um, released from Egypt. They died because of unbelief after seeing all the mighty miracles in Egypt. Recall also that Jesus said in Matthew 16:4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Adulterous here means they do not love God with their whole hearts. They also love and worship other things, including themselves and their own works. Still, immediately following this spect- spectacular demonstration, the people are quite motivated to cleanse the land of the prophets of Baal prophets who regularly enticed others to wickedness. Thus, Elijah oversaw the judicial killing of all the prophets of Baal. This would be like our system in our day and age, carrying out the death sentence for 
a group of self-confessed serial killers who had no intention of stopping. Um, If you look up Baal in Smith's Bible Dictionary, it says that Baal is identified with Moloch, and they were both including human sacrifice in their worship. Then next, we have the curious directions of Elijah to Ahab for Ahab to basically go ahead and have dinner. It had been a long day, but Elijah is going to be leading the watch for a storm. Elijah sends his servant to check seven times, obviously similar to marching seven times around Jericho. And Elijah's posture during this time seems to be himself presenting himself as humble before God, though prayer is not mentioned. Elijah does not even hesitate to take the very small cloud as an indication of the rain coming very intensely, very soon. Again, he gives directions to Ahab. Why wait until then? Why didn't they both just proceed to the city right away? I can't say for sure, but there's definitely some drama in Elijah running ahead of the king's chariot with a great storm at their heels. This is not like when Absalom and Adonijah were having men run in front of them riding on their own mules for their honor. This is more like Elijah giving an example of God's admonition, don't put your trust in horses or chariots. And I also see Elijah representing Yahweh's victory, reaching the town, Jezreel, before Ahab is like taking the first honor of returning in victory. And Ahab's entrance just can't compare. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey.